Morning, everybody. <laughs> Welcome in to Inside the Gamecocks, the show. I'm J.C. Sherbert. He's Phil Mullinax. It's Tuesday. Uh, I have to apologize to everybody. Yesterday, I, I said no guest today. It's Tuesday, so that's the mental edge with Sawyer Nicks. I forgot as well. I lost my mental edge yesterday. <laughs> Me too, no doubt. Hope you're feeling better, Phil. I am much better today, sir. Much better. Lots to get to today. A uh, and M, Carolina this weekend. Obviously, uh, going to talk a lot. Oh, the Nana Sports chat box. Going to kind of start to break down this game, Phil. And uh, you know, I wrote an article on thebigspur.com today uh, about the ground game. And you know, we keep talking about the ground game and. Uh, so I did some research, and I was like, hmm, A&M is number 115 in the country against the run. Oh, hey, well, that sounds awfully uh, promising, but I remember a matchup last year that had a terrible run defense, and we weren't yeah. able to capitalize on uh, They're only above Auburn, 13th in the SEC. Uh uh, and I got it right here. Sam, you know, nobody. All right, so Sam Houston State they held them to 107 yards on the ground. Since then, App State 181, Miami 175, Arkansas 244, Mississippi State, which doesn't run the ball, uh, 144, and Bama went for 286. Now, uh, Jimbo Fisher at his press conference yesterday mentioned that a lot of it's mental. Uh, I think we all know the Aggies are pretty talented up front. On the D-line, they're just young. You know, a lot of those younger five-star guys are playing, so they make mistakes and all that. But, uh, you know, you start to think about it, Phil, with the Gamecocks being at home, you know, and the ground game sort of coming alive recently, uh, led by Marshawn Lloyd and some better blocking and all that good stuff. Uh, I would I would kind of think that, uh, you know, South Carolina probably has the recipe to go out and be successful Saturday night uh, by running the football. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You definitely got to give it a shot. I think, you know, game plan, you really need to be run centered first. I mean, you want a balanced attack, obviously, but, you know, you got to get Marshawn going. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and I think that, you know, kind of when you look at it, too, uh, we talk about A-Chain and he's actually really an elite back, but. Aggies aren't, you know, they've had games where they hadn't gone very far on offense and he hadn't gotten a lot of carries, you know, 83 against App, only 110 against Sam Houston, 124 against Miami, 136 against Mississippi State. And we saw what Kentucky did to their run defense on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 70 against Bama. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know. I think that, uh, you know, I, I think that that kind of matches uh, – the matchups, you know, look well. I mean, uh, I think everybody's kind of afraid of a and I almost, I don't want to say afraid, but you know, they're always leery because hey, they've uh, they've owned the Gamecocks, right? <laughs> and, and and they haven't lived up to expectations, and then they're coming in after an open date and a heartbreaking loss to Alabama, uh, and that can work both ways. You know, sometimes you clear your head, you go out, and you say, okay, well, we're going to flush everything, focus on the second half of the year. Uh, but they've been pretty pedestrian uh, on offense. Their pass defense is good. Uh, but like I said, run defense and, you know, scoring defense is really good. Teams have not scored a bunch of them except Mississippi State. But, uh, you know, the, the it's it, it hasn't been easy for Jimbo Fisher's team to, uh, to stop uh, other teams' rushing attacks. I think that plays into Carolina's hands. 219.6 yards per game the last three games for Carolina on the ground compared to the first – 
three games, which were 70.3. <laughs> now, everybody's going to say, well, whoa, 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 SC State and Charlotte and whatever. And, yeah, look, playing SC State and Charlotte's not the same as playing App State and Miami, okay? <laughs> Let's just be honest there. Um, but the transitive property in college football can get you in trouble. Um, and, you know, I kind of look at what Carolina was able to do against Kentucky. And, Phil, it wasn't just Marshawn Lloyd alone. Uh, the blocking was better. Uh, you know, I, I think, and I wrote today that, you know, this offensive line is gelled. Uh, I think Jalen Nichols, Ja'Kai Moore, Dylan Wanham, and Wanamaker are all playing better at tackle. Uh, Javon Gwynn was the SEC offensive lineman of the week uh, last week, so he obviously had a good game, according to somebody. Uh, and then you've got the, the, the X-Factors, Wyatt Campbell and Nate Atkins, which Carolina, you know, against Arkansas, they weren't really running those formations. They kind of spread it all out wide and, uh, and 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 tried to chuck it all over the yard. And then against Georgia, that game was just a disaster. I mean, let's just call it like it is. Uh, mm-hmm. Carolina in that one abandoned the run pretty early uh, as well. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, you've been calling it the get-right games. I've picked that up too uh, and been writing it and using that term. I, I think that, you know, and I've said this before, for fans and analysts and stuff, Charlotte and South Carolina State mean nothing. For players, though, you know, they're not really worried about the opponent. They're worried about going out there and making things happen in football games. Uh, And in college football, you don't have scrimmages. You don't have exhibition games. uh, You you don't have uh, a lot of opportunity to go play against other teams. So no matter who you're playing, uh, I think success uh, sometimes breeds confidence or all the time, you know, should breed confidence. Um, And I think the game guys are going to be very confident Saturday night. Yeah, I agree. I agree. You know, I think, you know, we we call them get right, but it really is just for the players because they they needed to feel that success, uh, which they had yet to really get a hold of, (laughs) you know, so it was we were at a point at three and two where, you know, you're feeling really good going into a big time Kentucky matchup. Um, but you've got two games building that confidence, building that success, and now you just want to keep maintaining that at this point. So hopefully, uh, you know, they put a good game plan together in the off week, but uh, can maintain that confidence and uh, that drive that we saw in Lexington last uh, week. Yeah, and I'll tell you this, turnovers are going to be important Saturday night, folks. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, you know, and looking at A&M both ways, turnovers are a factor with them. A turnover allowed them to beat Arkansas, okay? Um, four turnovers Bama committed and two – Bama had four turnovers and two missed field goals. I, I, didn't, I didn't look at the missed field goals uh, against A&M. Uh, in that near miss, Alabama's not playing well. By the way, they're they're off. Something is wrong. <laughs> yeah, Brad Crawford. Actually, if you want to read this on twenty four seven Sports, folks, I'll I'll stick it up on uh, the JC and Morgan uh, Facebook page here later today, or if you want to just look it up, Brad had nine reasons why Bama's struggling. The penalties are ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, the fundamentals are ridiculous. The turnover margin. Uh, they're not the same as they once were at wide receiver. Um, you know, there's something off. And look, I thought I thought Alabama really should have won the game against Tennessee. I mean, they got some tough breaks. Um, Tennessee played very, very well. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I, I worry that people, Phil, are going to start thinking that I'm just not going to give Tennessee credit all, at all this year. Uh, but I am. I mean, Tennessee played great. They deserve to win the football game. Uh, but Bama, you know, you look at the Texas game, the A&M game. Uh, Bama completely crapped the bed 
for an entire uh, quarter against Arkansas. I was going to say an hour. It was about, it was about an hour. <laughs> it was about an hour's worth. Of yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it went from up big to like almost losing. Um, their secondary is very leaky, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Haynes King, who uh, could or could not start at quarterback for A&M Saturday night, although Jimbo says he's ready to go, uh, threw 46 times against Bama and had success. Um, I'm not saying that going into Tuscaloosa and being sitting on sitting on the one-yard line with a chance to win is not impressive, because it is. Anytime you do that, that that's, a, that's an impressive showing. However, you know, I, I don't want people to kind of – you know, think that they went up and down the field on, on the 2011 tied defense or, 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 or 2020, or they held the 2020 tied offense or 2021 tied offense down. Uh, it, it was uh, Alabama's got its own problems. But, you know, that was that game. Well, in, Miss, in Mississippi State, they blew uh, A&M out 42 24 at home. Mike Leach has always kind of had their number anyway. Uh, Mississippi State rushed for 144 yards against their defense. A&M turned it over in that game four times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, uh, and that was the difference. They did not score in the first half. So, you know, road environments uh, have not been kind, you know, uh, to A&M. I think – I actually think that's – that and Tuscaloosa have been their only road – Trip so so maybe maybe that's wrong but uh, yeah, Arkansas was not on the road it was uh, it was in Dallas but uh, at Jerry World but yeah. uh, you know th- that one road environment against Mississippi State you know they they got they got thumped and mm-hmm. uh, and then lost there and then this is another road game for them so uh, you know I didn't realize until digging in just how you know much they have struggled. Uh, against the run they also have had kind of a patchwork offensive line they've been working with Mm -hmm. Uh, maybe that's the reason they haven't run it as well they certainly didn't go very far against Bama they've had other games when they have Uh, but from what I've been reading uh, on their message board we'll get a we'll get Jeff Tarpley to fill us in on exactly what the health situation is their offensive line has been kind of you know in and out patchwork and they at A&M to their credit usually has one of the better offensive lines in this league that can compete against the defensive lines. Um, They recruit that well there. All right, poll question for today is topical. Uh, Hope you guys like it because it's caused some discussion, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, It was interesting. I was like, oh, okay, he threw one out there today. I just threw it out, you know, for for the – all right, so – which All right, so there's been three coaches during the SEC era at South Carolina, which has been 31 years. Um, I started thinking about the SEC era today, kind of thinking back on our conversation with David Cloninger about the SEC. Um, I was like, man, Carolina's actually been in the – the in five years, they will have been in the SEC twice as long as the ACC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it kind of got me thinking. I was like, well, there's been three football coaches fired during that time. Sparky Woods, Brad Scott, Will Muschamp. Which one is the best? <laughs> uh, you know, which, which one would you go back and say, ah, he wasn't that bad? Um, and on the bigspur.com, Sparky's running away with it with 61.7%. Must champ at 29.8. Brad Scott, 8.51. Only four votes for Brad. <laughs> uh, I guess when you walk out the door and go, uh, to your in state rival, because Muschamp did go to the border rival, but you know. Quite frankly, George's is alma mater, so you know I, I, I don't think anybody hated on him for that. Uh, and then proceeded to try to tear down the program you built. 
uh, in a lot of ways because you're bitter because you went one in ten and made a stupid hire. Uh, your your answer to a terrible defense for five years or four years was to keep your defensive coordinator and go hire uh, one of the worst offensive coordinators uh, in 1998 college football period uh, to do or really ever. Uh, to run a, an offense from the 80s, you know, yeah. uh, that was your big answer. And then you got fired and then you held it against the school. I know. I know. He just said we left the program in shambles. Johnson did, too. So it was yeah. like, yeah. I don't yeah. know. I think he probably left it worse than any of the three of them. Yeah, I mean, Brad Scott, because it took – now, Brad left some players. You know, he left Shelton Brown. He left Kalimba Edwards. He left Kenny Horney. He left Shannon Wadley. He left Brian Scott. He left Jermail Kelly. He left Phil Petty. Uh, you know, but Lou had to kind of plug in some pieces. He left some good offensive linemen, too. And Lou was able to win with that group after a year. But it took a year, a bad year with a lot of injuries and things like that, to really get this team, get the program back to where anybody even cared about winning. You know, Muschamp left some players, and they're still playing and playing well. You know, I thought Sparky Woods left Brad Scott some players. I mean, Brad Scott uh, went 7-5 and five that first year and won the first bowl game in school history, largely because of the way Sparky had recruited. Um, you know, I think they needed kind of a, you know, a, a boost and a new outlook and all that. I, I don't disagree with Sparky Woods being fired. But uh, – and, and Sparky also – you know, you, you look at Sparky and Muschamp, the adversity that they had externally, okay? Yeah. Uh, Sparky uh, took over late. You know, he's like the, the the bottom choice for the job. You know, he basically got hired because Carolina had an athletic director at the time. King Dixon, great Gamecock, terrible, terrible, terrible athletic director. Uh, people that think Ray Tanner's bad, they don't, they don't, uh, they didn't live through that, that era at all. Uh, wanted to make a hire on the cheap. And basically it came down to Jimmy Satterfield at Furman uh, and Sparky Woods at App State. And Sparky was the low bidder. So he was cheaper, so he got the job. Uh, and he worked and worked and worked. And, and, you know, so not only did he have to take over a program that had a steroid scandal, that had Joe Morrison up and die in February, before, right before signing day, uh, he had to transition this program into the SEC uh, and deal with an administration that, quite frankly, was clueless because uh, his first two years, when he had some players left over from Joe Mo, they turned down a bowl game. And that back then, Phil, there weren't a hundred bowl games. You know, there weren't a hundred teams going to bowls. You know, it was more selective and important uh, oh, yeah. mm-hmm. to go to bowl games back then. And the administration turned it down and, you know, used uh, conflicts with final exams as an excuse. Oh, how noble you are. <laughs> That's right. You know, for, oh, the great. Uh, virtue of uh, a paragon of academic virtue of the University of South Carolina, blah, 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 you know, and, and it wrecked it. It hurt him. You know, it hurt him with some top players. It hurt him, you know, trying to get a guy like Stephen Davis who went to Auburn and, and things like that. And so he had, he had some adversity and then Muschamp and look, I'm not making excuses for Will. Uh, and I'm not saying things would have been different because look, the end at South Carolina was an awful lot like the end at Florida. <laughs> uh, what happened at South Carolina, bad offense most of the time, lots of injuries mm-hmm. happened at Florida. You know, I don't, you know, I, I, I don't think that the reasons were similar, but are the same, but the, the same result happened. Uh, but, you know, he still had to go through the pandemic, you know, and, and you think about this, I mean, heading into 2020 and, you know, he, he survived 2019, uh, 
when the starting quarterback got hurt, you, you had to play a guy that obviously uh, I think we're all finding out it's not very good, but every now and then <laughs> uh, as a true freshman, um, you know, and so you go forward eight, uh, and then, you know, you, you get a second, you got a reprieve, uh, and you got Coastal, East Carolina, and Missouri your first three games in 2020. Now, that was before, you know, Coastal could have very easily come in and beat Carolina under normal circumstances in 2020. We all know how good Coastal was that year. We also know it was 2020 and nobody played defense. Um, You know, and had he lost to Coastal in that opener, we would have been looking at an 11-game tenure for Mike Bobo most likely. But but I think they could have beaten them, and I think they could beat East Carolina, and I think they'd have beaten Missouri. And and so you got a 3-0 start teed up before you go to Kentucky that year. Uh, and then a global pandemic hits. Yeah, what are you going to do with that? <laughs> we the season until September 26. Plus, there's all the other stuff that happened in the summer of 2020, and he had to keep the roster together. And there's all this controversy and stuff. I mean, that's that's a lot of adversity off the field that he had to face mm-hmm. along with Sparky Woods. Brad Scott faced no adversity. Brad Scott, after his third year, was two and one against Clemson, and everybody was still right there. You know, he didn't really even lose the fans until um, the end of 97 when, you know, they're up 14-6 to six on Clemson at home, looking good for another win in the series and, and maybe get to a bowl at 6-6. Six and six. Uh, And he calls a reverse trick play and uh, Clemson intercepts it. And I think Clemson ended up winning 47-21 that night. Uh, and that's, that's when the bottom fell out for him. And then the genius of him to go hire Chuck Reedy uh, was one of the worst decisions ever in the history of college football when it was clear that his defense just was not stopping people. And Wally Burnham's defense just was not stopping anybody. Uh, so Brad Scott had no one to blame but himself. Right. right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think Sparky Woods and, and Will Muschamp worked hard, did the best they could. It didn't work out. I agree with making the change. Uh, but those those two guys face some adversity. I mean, you know, the transition into the SEC for Sparky, the Joe Mo thing, the pandemic for Will, you know, and so that's why I would go with, with Sparky or, or Muschampa over that. I would never vote for Brad Scott in that situation, and certainly Sparky Woods is running away with it right now because uh, I, th- I think Will Muschamp's too uh, fresh in people's minds, uh, if you will, Phil. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and we're all still just happy that he's gone. I think you know, as a <laughs> as a you know a whole, really, people are just like, okay, glad that's behind us, and and you know, we've got the Beamer era well on its way. The Beamer era is still well on its way, so mm-hmm. uh, I think that, I think that that's fine. Uh, I'm going to check the poll results on Twitter right now. Muschamp is ahead. Yeah, <laughs> on the poll. Brad Scott's got more votes than he should. That's probably because of the Clemson people following uh, on Twitter. Twitter's a little more open. Um, but, uh, yeah, 40.6% for Muschamp, 374 for Sparky, 219 for Brad Scott. So it's a lot different on Big Spur versus that. I haven't checked YouTube yet. Nana Sports chat box, good morning. Crager says, feeling good about Saturday night? Honestly, Craig, I, I am too. After reading about some offensive line issues A and M may have, and mm-hmm. who the quarterback's going to be, and then there, I didn't. I guess I didn't do my research. I should have during the open date, but I, I basically just sat around and you know did the show and uh, drank a few beers. <laughs> um, you know, uh, during the open date, yeah, it's uh, like I, a mid midseason vacation. <laughs> yeah, midseason vacation. I, I kicked it a little bit last, last weekend. So, but no. Um, 
in rushing defense, only ahead of Auburn. In in the in Auburn, of course, uh, how many rushing? I think Penn State's still running on them, and so is Ole Miss yeah. for Auburn. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a not a stellar run defense on the plains this year. So they, you know, just about everybody's been able to get it going. Miami, you know, didn't score, but they ran it well. Uh, Mississippi, Mississippi State's what gets me. I'm like, man, how did they go for 144 rushing yards? So, yeah. um, so I'm, I'm when you see them rack up all those yards, you're like, okay, is it? Do they have good red zone defense, or are these offenses just bad in the red zone? So that's yeah. you know one thing that kind of is the red flag for us is okay when we get down there, we've had our issues. So yeah. <laughs> let's make sure we kind of conquer that going up against this team because it doesn't matter what you do between the twenties; it's what you do inside that matters. <laughs> yes, Score, scoring defense. A and very good. They're very resilient. Mm-hmm. That's why I said I think turnovers are going to be a big, big factor Saturday night. Uh, Joey says I think it's going to be a tight game. Hope we come out on top. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know, Arkansas A and M was tight. Miami was tight. App State was tight. Um, Bama was obviously tight. I mean, they've had some close games this year. It's not like they've been getting – you know, Mississippi State's really the only team that's gotten – taking them to the woodshed this year. Tim Dorn says, good morning. Great day to have a great day. Absolutely. Oh. Uh, feels great outside right now, Joey says. How does it feel down there? Phil, I, 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 I was looking at uh, Facebook last night, and I saw WYFF. They were like, the low tonight's going to be 37. Well, we got a freeze warning tonight, so it's, it's getting wow. chilly. It snowed yesterday morning here. I was like, oh, God. <laughs> but, see, but see, for y'all, for, for, for people in South Carolina, that's different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, oh, well, maybe maybe we'll have that white Christmas this year. Maybe we'll have it. Maybe we'll mm-hmm. finally have the white Christmas. Up here, it's like, uh, fellowship of the miserable. Yeah, yeah. Guess you better get everything inside. Winter's here. <laughs> Yeah, you brought the turtle in at a good time. I did. She's right here, by the way. I about said J.C. Sherbert, Phil Mullinex, Lizzie the turtle right here with you. That's right. Um, By the way. But uh, anyway, um, Doc says, I think if Spencer gains early confidence, doesn't make mistakes, we have our best chance in several years to finally beat A&M. Their secondary may be the best we have seen so far, run early and often. They do have a good secondary is it the best? I don't know. There are a lot of question marks on that team this year, JC. It's just, you know, and I think, and, and we kind of mentioned it before the season started, is that you, you've got all these big, high, five-star names, but most of these guys are young, and it's going to take them a while to get together and gel. So let's hope it's going to take another week. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, think they, I think they do play pretty good, really good pass defense. At mm-hmm. um, I will say this, though. Uh, let's look at uh, Mississippi State, uh, 329 passing yards for Will Rogers in that one. Obviously, the Gamecocks don't have the same system as Mississippi State. Bama struggled throwing it, but they had their backup quarterback. You know, Je- Jefferson was solid. I mean, 12 for 19, two touchdowns, but they Arkansas didn't even really try. Now, I'll say this run defense-wise, they did a good job with Raheem Sanders in that one, only 68 yards. Uh, in that game, um, that's impressive. Yeah, other people. That, I mean, Arkansas did pile up 244 yards against them, um, rushing on the ground. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I think uh, obviously, App State's a run-oriented team. Those games were low scoring, uh, and then Alabama had their issues. I, I think that the key is going to be just like Kentucky. I think. 
you know, and I think that's what gives me confidence about this one. I'm not as confident as I was last week. I'll admit that to you guys. But uh, I think that the secret sauce to beating Kentucky is kind of going to be the same thing. Pressure the quarterback. Uh, A-chain may get his yards, but you got to limit that, limit their explosive plays. And then in the past game for Carolina, um, you know, and Ben Briner on our website pointed this out, Phil, it's uh, – the, the passing offense has left a lot to be desired at times, but one thing Carolina is good at is getting explosive plays in the pass game. You know, yeah. mm-hmm. they, when they connect, they're getting downfield uh, pretty good, and that's uh, it's crazy considering the dink and dunk style they have at times. But uh, that's fine. Of, yeah, and a lot of that is just the athleticism of our skill position players. I mean, yeah. you know, if it weren't for Jalen Brooks and you know Juice really having a game, <laughs> then yeah. it wouldn't be because the pass was you know right at the line of scrimmage. So it's all yak. <laughs> Craig says T. Rob is coaching Bama's secondary would be a reason. Still, I, I thought they'd let him go. No, nah, no, nah, T-Rob's T- <laughs> there. He, uh, look, man, T-Rob's got a pretty good track record of coaches secondary. I don't think he's a coordinator. but uh, And that system busts. You know, the Alabama system, when, they don't, when they're not on, it busts. And Tennessee exposed that. And I've said mm-hmm. that. Look, at it's the same thing South Carolina ran uh, uh, in 2020. Remember when three NFL players were back there and Ole Miss throws a pass and – Kevin just throws his clipboard in the air because it's like that's it. That was the final game of the Muschamp era. Uh, and he had three, four NFL players back there. And it's just mm-hmm. complicated. It's very complicated. Uh, that's why Bama recruiting like they do, Bama, you know, ends up ends up doing well. And then they've had some recruiting misses. Uh, Kylie Jackson, who was a – Kyrie Jackson, who was a JUCO guy Carolina was in on for a while – uh, is the guy that got torched in the championship game last year when he was in. He doesn't play that much. And then they got this five-star from the portal that everybody was like, oh, my God, this guy's going to be awesome. This kid from California who went from LSU to Bama, which makes it makes about as much sense as Jermaine Burton, who's from California, going from Georgia to Bama. Um, and, you know, the saviors there haven't worked out. And I think that's a lesson. You know, because look, if you've got somebody that you're on a team that just won a national championship and you go transfer to the team that you beat, you know, and you're not even, you're from California, that's kind of a mercenary type situation. Same Mm -hmm. with Eli Ricks that uh, came in. Eli Ricks isn't playing at all. It's interesting. It's interesting. The other thing about that Tennessee Alabama game, too, JC, is, you know, Tennessee let them score 49 points. Yeah, <laughs> they scored forty nine. Yeah. Good win, had but more. yeah, good win. But you know, your over under went <laughs> over a hundred. <laughs> I, I tell I tell you what's interesting about Tennessee this year that that I, I noticed today when I was doing some research. Tennessee has the tenth ranked rushing defense in the country. They are and they're doing a great job. Like LSU, what they did that you look at their defense, they're selling out and stop the run. And LSU didn't make a pay. And, I, and I'll say this too about A and M. DJ Durkin, great defensive coach. They sell out to stop the run. South Carolina's got to make them pay in the passing game, and and that's all there is to it. And that'll be coaching on coaching. Uh, remember Missouri last year? They were pretty bad against the run too. They sold out, crashed their ends the whole game. Nobody figured out what to do. Now, whether that was Jason Brown's fault or Marcus Satterfield's fault, I don't know. I just know when Carolina finally attacked the perimeter uh, in the second half, Zaquandre White was open, and he, he ran from, like, Columbia, Missouri to St. Louis, and he kept going across Illinois and probably ended up in Indianapolis. 
you know, <laughs> at the end of the game. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, teams, if, if, it were, if it were that easy, teams could, could just crash the box, stop the run, crash their ends. Everybody would do it. Mm-hmm. Everybody would do it every play. But you have to make them pay. I don't think Bama made Tennessee pay enough the other day at LSU. Certainly didn't. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of Tennessee's plan. We're not going to let you run the ball. No. successfully against us. Uh, we're going to make sure you do it. You know, hey, if you complete some passes, you complete some passes because that's our game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll do it. Um, Kevin says A&M might do less with more than any program ever. <laughs> Tend to agree. <laughs> They've had a tough go of it. I mean, Carolina people kind of think of them in the same breath as Clemson and Georgia because they, they've beaten the game card so many times, but they – you know, look, uh, people complain and, and blame uh, the administration at Carolina. It was Eric Hyman that did it. I thought, I thought Tanner was in charge by then. But when they finally decided to make A&M the permanent opponent, uh, Hyman was there. And what was happening is LSU and Florida don't like playing each other anymore. It's kind of a, you know, they used to, you know, there's just a lot of blood, bad blood between those two schools. So Florida had this great idea. They were going to play A&M. And LSU wanted Carolina and the Gamecocks at the time, keep in mind, were a top ten program. LSU was ridiculously tough coming off, you know, whatever the, the eleven or twelve and one year where they won the SEC and lost to Bama. Uh, A and M was a six and six team that had just fired Mike Sherman from the Big Twelve, where they didn't play any defense. So, you know, I really can't blame Eric Hyman for. Ironically, he ended up at A and M, but for 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 making that deal and saying hell no to LSU. I mean, that'd have been a great trip to Baton Rouge every other year, but come on, man. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Saunders, simply keep doing it. Show it against UGA. Don't let USC defense slow you down. I know we didn't do well last year. Or Kentucky beat the whoever in the I, – I don't I don't know what Lady Bree's trying to say. Uh, he says, Spurrier left us in shambles. Uh, Sean said, who's supposed to start this week for A&M? Uh, according to Jimbo, it's Haynes King. Haynes King, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people say Connor Wegman's been taking reps with the ones. Uh, a lot of rumors in Aggie Land. So yeah, Jimbo's yeah. probably just playing games. Who knows? Uh, yeah, he, these days in college, until they make a rule, and, and I, I don't know that they shouldn't. To be honest, uh, nobody's going to disclose injuries. <laughs> and, uh, and, and look, Shane Beamer is not alone in that. So. Mm-hmm. I know people were frustrated just because of the the over the topness of Muschamp. Uh, but keep in mind, Mark Stoops last week uh, said, mm-hmm. "Oh no, if, if somebody's out, I'll tell you he's out." Talking about Levis, mm-hmm. uh, and he was out, and the people in Vegas knew it because they adjusted the line. We got to get to a break. The Mental Edge with Sawyer Nick's coming up. After that, we will have nothing but interaction for the rest of this Tuesday right here on Inside the Gamecocks. The show will be back after these messages. Just as your State Farm agent combines good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates, you can combine your home, auto, life, or small business insurance with Tony Pope's State Farm Insurance today. And guess what you'll get? That's right, even more good neighbor service with surprisingly great rates. In fact, Tony Pope State Farm is your go-to agent anywhere in South Carolina, North Carolina, or Georgia for the service you deserve at the price you want. So try combining your home, life, auto, and or small business insurance 
difference today. Tony Pope State Farm has been in business for more than 30 years and can handle anything you need in the tri-state area. Once again, Tony Pope State Farm will help you mix and match perfectly. Call 843-851-2222 or visit TonyPope.com today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. If you're a listener, you know I feel strongly that if you're in the upstate and are in need of real estate services, Cindy Searfoss is your go-to person. Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane uh, can help you with any of your realty needs right there in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Oconee, uh, Pickens, wherever you are. Cindy can help you with that. She's married to a die. Our Gamecock fan has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271 or email ccearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E. That's Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, Check her out. We've already gotten several emails from listeners uh, that are very impressed with her professionalism and her ability to help you with your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Cindy Searfoss of Caldwell Banker King. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks. Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Attention golfers of all ages and skill sets. Former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor will be a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina very, very soon. You want to take advantage of this opportunity. If you're like me and you got to get a whole lot better at golf, or even if you're looking to refine your swing, Meredith is the person you need to go to. She's competing in her final USGA Mid-Amateur Tournament this summer before going full-time into teaching and coaching individuals. If you're in South Carolina, Meredith will be conducting in-person golf lessons at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course. She'll play 9 or 18 with you. If you're out of state, though, this is really exciting. She'll be conducting virtual lessons. You can send in your swing for her expert analysis. Also, in November, she'll launch an online course with video instruction for all ages and skill levels. Meredith has 20-plus years of knowledge, former SEC golfer, all of that. So contact her on Twitter, at Taylor at M-E-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or go to McKellarEnterprises.org. McKellar is spelled M-C-K-E-L-L-A-R, Enterprises.org. Her email's on the website, so you can connect with her for any other questions. Go get your golf game in order. Take advantage of Meredith Taylor and her services. What's up, this is Jaheen Bell with the Gamecocks, and you are now listening to Inside the Gamecocks Show with J.C. and Phil. 
Welcome back to Inside the Gamecocks, everybody. The first hour of the show is brought to you by Cindy Searfoss, Coldwell Banker Kane Realty. Give Cindy a call for all your upstate residential real estate needs, 864-414-5271. Of course, we're brought to you by Manscaped, promo code BigSpur, manscaped.com, 20% off and free shipping. And we're joined, as always, on Tuesday by Sawyer Nix on the McKellar Enterprises uh, guest line. How are you doing this morning, Sawyer? Good morning, good morning. I'm doing all right. So two things I was thinking about. One thing that I'm requesting listeners to do is to continue sending questions and engage. So I'd like uh, listeners to keep doing that and or watchers, but especially listeners, to engage and send some questions either to me or to the I Help Consulting mailbag or to the Nana's Porch chat box. Um, also... If there are any folks interested in kind of sponsoring my segment, I want to do some more giveaways. So um, next week I'm going to do a giveaway, but I'd like to do even more giveaways. So if there's some people that are interested, uh, that would be great. You can always message me or get me on Twitter. Also, my website has some information on how to get in contact with me. But I'll be doing a giveaway next week. We'll be giving away some item undisclosed so we'll we'll see what it will be but it will be a giveaway next week so we want to make sure listeners stay engaged but uh want them to continue uh shooting in questions and uh engaging in the show awesome awesome i've got a question for you though so you're uh just thinking about it uh before we really get into anything with uh, mental health and athletes and stuff just in general mental health these days is there a a lack of mental health services these days or are we just seeing an, an increase outpacing the availability of providers yes <laughs> both <laughs> right um, I, I, yes I, well, I, I think there's i mean part of it's uh, insurance providers time everybody i know for a lot of folks they want afternoon after school after work time well I only have so many times uh, slots available that I'm willing to share with folks. I have two kids. I have a seven-month-old and a six-year-old and a wife. And so certainly I want to be at home with them. Uh, and I can't be seeing folks every night at 6 or 7 o'clock or Saturdays or Sundays. So part of it is time. Uh, part of it is demand. The, the clinicians are, are significantly full. Uh, there's a demand for females. You know, people uh, are seeking out females, I guess, motherly figures. I don't know if they're more nurturing or, or want to share information with them, but that's particular the case. And, and so I think just time-wise and financial-wise, it's hard. There There is a shortage of providers. Um, and there is an increase. I think we're all the time dealing with stress and difficult situations in life some people have family issues uh, physical health issues there's people deal with all sorts of things and so i'd say that that's that's kind of ongoing and um it's even more difficult now talking about sore your next is the mental edge okay so the first thing i'm gonna say is uh i'm gonna ask you about the poll question because you've been around the gamecocks for a while and this is just strictly a football question it doesn't have much to do with the mental edge but I thought I'd get some disc- off topic. It's kind of off topic a little bit. Okay. Uh, I haven't okay. seen it, so this will be so good. Of the three coaches that have been fired at Carolina during the SEC era, Will Muschamp, Brad Scott, Sparky Woods, which one was the best? I would say in third place, it would be Brad Scott would be not the best. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start with agrees with you, yeah. Yeah, he's running away so, with it. <laughs> so, so I think – 
recently, I think Muschamp, where our immediate reaction is Muschamp's, you know, torched the place down. Muschamp's not there. I think, but there were some seasons that he did well, that he got us some players. It's just the last few, some things never got on track offensively. And then utilization of, of players was, well, pretty awful. Um, so with those two issues, I think there's burn in our mind. And I think that's one of the, you know, I, I talked to my class, I guess it will be Thursday's lecture, my psychology class. I teach one class about the recency effect. You know, we tend to remember the most recent things. Um, when we meet folks, we tend to remember the last name or either the first name of, of people that we meet. And so Muschamp's so new. I think we're like, oh, down with Muschamp. He was the worst coach ever. So I think that's maybe why Sparky Woods gets some some more votes. But I'm going to tend to kind of go with Muschamp. As the best. Okay. I, you know, I, 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 I'm torn. I think both left some good players. I, I think as Beamer gets through this season and we kind of see how a lot of these guys ultimately pan out, we'll know more. Obviously, Sparky Woods left the team that won the first bowl game in school history. Yeah, uh, guys like Brandon Bennett and Steve Tannehill, and shoot, I believe Zola Davis was he on that team? Uh, you know, they had some good Boomer Foster, Stanley Pritchett. Uh, you know, it's a pretty good Hank Campbell on defense. I mean, there's some there's some pretty good players. Um, you know, and then and then Muschamp left Shane, obviously a bowl team last year. Now Shane's had to add some things and some, some spots, and I don't remember quite. Clearly enough, and I got a good memory, as you guys know, uh, with this stuff. I don't remember clearly, like, exactly who Brad brought in and added to that team that first year uh, to kind of get them back. I, I know Lou, um, by the time he turned it around, added so I mean, obviously added Derek Watson and Andrew Pinnock and Corey Alexander and, you know, a lot of guys that helped the Gamecocks um, – you know, uh, that he inherited from Brad. And, and, and I think the rest of them have too. It's been kind of a blend. But, uh, you know, I, I don't remember exactly who all Sparky was not responsible for on that first team. So uh, it would be kind of tough for me. Both, And we'll get, we'll get to this adversity. Both really kind of faced some adversity in different ways. Sparky obviously took over after Joe Morrison died. There was a steroid scandal. Uh, the administration Screwed him out of two bowl games his first two years uh, under the guise of academics. Uh, the, the the football program at Carolina was not funded properly at that point. Plus, he had a transition in the Southeastern Conference. Okay, that's all the things Sparky Woods faced. That's tough. He was a coach at South Carolina, right? Um, plus, he's probably like the fifth choice for the job. Um, and I think the guy that took over for him at App was there for a long time. I'm not positive about that. Was Jerry, did Jerry Moore take over for Sparky Woods? What do you at people tell me that? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Will <laughs> uh, took over a bad roster, you know, quickly got it got it right on offense, you know, got some guys in like Bentley and Edwards and, you know, Debo got healthy, Shy Smith. Uh, they turned Hayden Hurst into a uh, tight end, which is what he should have been. Uh, all that good stuff. Um, I thought he maximized the defense a few, you know, a couple of years and all that. Uh, and then he had a down year after Jake got hurt in 2019 with a quarterback that I think we all realize now is not very good. No offense to him as a person, but I think we're realizing now he's just not very good. Never was. Never was, but every now and then. 
um, which is telling. Um, so they go four and eighty, survives, and I've, I said this before, so I'm gonna be quick. The next year, you know, it, it, you open with Coastal, which obviously looking back would have been dangerous, but I think they could have won East Carolina and Missouri. So you got a three and zero start teed up for you in 2020, and then a global pandemic hits. <laughs> And that was a challenge for a lot of coaches, man. <laughs> you know, we'll do a better job than just about anybody holding the team together and all that. So, you know, he faced some adversity, you know, that was kind of external beyond his control. Um, so both of those guys, it's it's hard for me to kind of pick one. Um, I'd, probably, I'd probably say Sparky just because, you know, obviously when Muschamp was the coach, you know, the, the administration would have never – told him he couldn't go to a bowl game. I mean, he, right. you know, when President Castlin was here, uh, there were some things that, that I, you know, I, I've been privy to that, that weren't ideal as far as adding, you know, being a winner and building a winner. Uh, but the administration, for the most part, gave Muschamp everything he wanted. So I'd probably go with Sparky and all that. All right, so mentally, Carolina has been owned by Texas A&M. Uh, I don't know necessarily that it's a situation, uh, Sawyer, that where it's like, oh, man, you just can't – like with Kentucky, you know, man, every year you have something happen, it's close, and then you can't get over the hump. It's frustrating. You know, I hadn't been close that often, especially lately with the Aggies. Uh, how do you kind of, if you're the team, block out? Because I, I think the matchups are, are pretty favorable to Carolina. It's not a given. You know, it's not this game where I think Carolina's going to go in there and stomp them. But I think it's kind of two similar teams, and Carolina's at home, although they are a three-and-a-half-point underdog. Uh, right. How do you hear this team kind of, you know, if there even is this there block out like the the TA and M and the maroon and the white on the helmet and say, let's just go play football. This is the 2022 Gamecocks versus y'all. Right. Well, I was thinking about – the rest of the season after the bye week. And one of the things that came to mind was when ugly, you know, going into this season, I think a lot of us had higher hopes for what the offense would look like. That'd be a lot smoother that Rattler would be some version of himself when he was doing well, at Oklahoma. Um, we'd see bell have breakout games. We'd see more of what, Still hoping for, I guess. <laughs> but I, I think I've accepted the mantra of, of win ugly. And, and maybe the team has kind of accepted that, that how things should look or how everybody wants them to look may not happen. So I think it's having a growth mindset and just saying we're going to win every opportunity that's in front of us. And I think um, with that growth mindset, part of it's, you know, how do you learn from failure? How do they learn from some of the games that they haven't played as well or when there's been missed opportunities as recent as Kentucky certainly is they won the game, but there were some missed opportunities for sure. Uh, we talked about the the block punt and sure you got to get another score there if you're off. So there's plenty on the table for the team to grow. But I think as long as they have that growth mindset of, Hey, we're, we're learning from failure we're embracing obstacles, which is a big key, you know. So I think that's another thing. So maybe you take away the the maroon and white, and take away the T and the M. But maybe on the other hand, you just acknowledge it. Yeah, we haven't beaten this team, and part of that's because we haven't done what we needed to do. So this week, we're going to embrace that. We're going to embrace this opportunity. And so much of that is about what the Gamecocks do, and less about 
Texas A&M. But I think also if you're the coach, it's it's hard to ignore those things. Sometimes when when I'm talking to clients about obstacles that they're facing, yeah, we can pretend or be distracted. But I think sometimes the best way is to face those obstacles head on. Say, yeah, we're we're going to overcome these obstacles, so whether it's in life or whether it's a team, um, and just acknowledge, yeah, this is a team that South Carolina's never beat, but here's an opportunity. What better opportunity than this year? The momentum's going forward. We're learning from our mistakes. We're learning from our failures. We have a great chance to kind of face this next opponent in the face. Um, we're going to give it our best, which is another component of, of the growth mindset. It's always giving it our best, um, getting some feedback and figuring out what adjustments need to be made and then kind of uh, feeding on the success of others. So when Lloyd's having his game, the offensive line needs to feed off of that. The defense can feed off of that. And we certainly want to see complimentary football played on, on Saturday, and I think that will be a, a big aspect as well. But the team can feed off that, and they can look at this as, hey, this is an obstacle, but we're going to face it head on, and we have the opportunity to take steps over this through that. Haynes King, according to Jimbo's, expected to start. Connor Wagman could start. Haynes King's mobility uh, is something that I think people need to pay attention to. Um, they also kind of are, kind of had a revolving door up front on the offensive line, uh, according to some things on their message board. We're going to talk to Jeff Jeff Tarpley tomorrow. Uh, how big do you think, uh, you know, as opposed to last week, Sawyer had Carolina, let's say they had gotten up 17 nothing at half. And then the second half was kind of ugly on both sides. Um, how big was it to come out in the second half last week? And really, I thought on both sides of the football, they played their best best ball. Uh, the first half, you know, you still had Chris Rodriguez going for, what, 90-something yards in the first half. Um, you were tied 7-7. The offense blew two scoring opportunities. Um, you know, I don't know that Kentucky – I didn't feel like Kentucky had a lot of momentum at halftime. But I certainly thought the game was was in in, in doubt. Uh, and then the second half, Carolina, boom, 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 big play after big play on offense. Kentucky had trouble stopping them. They limited Rodriguez. It ended up being like uh, one of those classic Gamecock sack fests that we used to enjoy during the Spurrier era. Um, you know, a lot of great things happened. So, so, so the, the fact that it happened at the end, and that's the last half of football they played, uh, and people talk about getting off to a fast start. I think in two of the three phases they did last Saturday night. Um, how do you carry that over through the open date uh, and into the game Saturday night? Well, I think with the team, I don't think they – maybe the momentum is certainly good, but I think looking at that first half, again, they look at it as just, hey, we had some opportunities, we didn't capitalize. In the second half, they were just more efficient. The opportunities that they had, they capitalized on that. And so I think that same theme moves forward. How When we have opportunities in front of us, whether it's, again, the big opportunity is we've never beaten Texas and A&M. Here's the big opportunity that we have. And then you can break it down into smaller opportunities, such as stopping them on their first third down or us you know, moving the ball and scoring on our first drive. Whatever those opportunities are, I think that's where the biggest – focus is it's it's a big focus on how do we just maximize the opportunities and take steps forward whether it's you know in a half in a quarter per drive whatever it is it's it's maximizing those opportunities in the, the offense and the defense 
certainly did that in Kentucky. And so I think that's a theme that they can continue. It's like we've done this. Now we got to continue through the bye week in our preparation, our practice. You know, sure, it's a time to heal our bodies, but it's also not a time to kind of take it too easy. We need to continue moving forward to keeping this edge, to keeping this momentum going. And we do that by our preparation and, and focus. And I think that's the theme that will continue this week. Big obstacle, but big opportunities. And with big opportunities comes big rewards. And and I think that's also a motivating factor. You know, you have opportunities to do things you've never done before. And that can be a big driver for, for players. That's why sometimes the Gamecocks have gotten players. That's why I think we got Rattler. You know, it's, you know, you had uh, Shane recruiting him and um, also just blanking on our offensive coordinator's name, but um, Sad at Satterfield. Yeah. So they certainly, some of their pitches to recruits are, hey, we're trying to do some things we haven't done before at Carolina. And so I think that's a great motivating factor this week for the team. Now, does that overshadow their preparation and game playing, all that? No but it feeds into that big equation. All right, Sawyer, uh, tell us what your prediction is and uh, any advice for fans on Saturday night. I, I was on 107.5 earlier, and uh, Gunner was hammering home, good start, good start, good start, get the crowd into it. Um, you know, I, I agree with that. I think it's very helpful, but I also have seen situations before. I was thinking about the 2010 Florida game when – they returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. <laughs> uh, and you saw what happened by the end. Sometimes a big start like that. I mean, even Tennessee, Carolina, Tennessee in uh, 2019, the Gamecocks scored on the first play of the game uh, and lost by 20. Um, tell us your prediction. Tell us how important it is for the crowd to sort of persevere just in case because uh, a chain, uh, you know, one of their defensive backs, anything could happen negatively early. But I think people need to keep in mind it's still early. Don't get deflated. Right. Well, I would say that's kind of where I've accepted the win ugly. It's like if we have a messy first quarter, don't, oh, we're, we're going to lose the game. We can't be weird. Nine in a row. You know, don't just, hey, win ugly. Win ugly. Win is a win is a win. It doesn't matter if we throw 10 bubble screens behind the line of scrimmage and offensive linemen don't block. It doesn't matter if, you know, we have a defensive lineman not set the edge on a play or whiff on a block, win, win, win. You know, that's the name of the game. So for fans, hang in there. Also for players, you know, you don't want them hanging the balance of the game based on the first drive. Um, oh, we, we did great, so now we can relax because we finally scored on our first drive. Or the opposite, oh, we got torched, now we're going to get smeared. We have no chance this game. You don't want either one of those things. So, yes, a, a good start is important, but it's also not going to break, uh, make or break this team. And I, and I think part of that win ugly is, is that. Things may be similar to other games we've seen this season, and yet in the end they find a way to win. And I think that's the most important thing. So for my prediction – um, I'm going to say, as I said last week, I predict South Carolina is going to win. I'm going to say mm, it's probably going to be a close game. It seems like a lot of our games this year have not been close, um, too, too close as far as down to the wire in the last couple of drives or so. 
Um, so I, I think this game will maybe break that mold. And I think perhaps South Carolina wins, um, we'll say 27-24. Gamecocks, Sawyer next. The Mental Edge joins us each and every Tuesday. You guys heard him. Sawyer, give everybody your website because uh, you mentioned it earlier that they can go to for you know, sponsor the segment, giveaways, that kind of thing. Yeah, it's just my name, www.sawyer, S-A-W-Y-E-R, nixnix.com. SawyerNix.com. We'll be sure to tweet that out from at the Big Spur Pod as well. Sawyer, thanks for joining us. Have a great week, and uh, we'll talk to you next Tuesday, hopefully with uh, another victory in hand. Yeah, we'll do. I'm hoping uh, you know Saturday will be my 38th birthday, so uh, that was kind of part, part of me predicting a Gamecock win, so – Hopefully I'll uh, light some candles on the cake instead of lighting fireworks at Williams Price. So. I got you. That'll be good. <laughs> Happy birthday, Sawyer. We'll talk to you soon, bud. See ya. Mm-hmm. Bye. Bye-bye. Sawyer next with the Mental Edge. His birthday Saturday. Yeah. Happy birthday. Everybody wants to give him a birthday present. Give Sawyer a birthday present. But I swear, JC, if we throw 10 bubble screens, I'm going to vomit. I thought about that. Will's <laughs> <laughs> head's going to explode. Yeah, I, oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Tim Dorn said Sparky was in over his head. Maybe, but I, I, Tim, look, here's the truth of the matter. Everybody was. The administration yeah. included. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a, that was a rough time. It kind of came crumbling down in a spectacular fashion. Um, Cocky Gaming says Manscaped, the official sponsor of Cocktober. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Lady Bree says Spurrier left much champ a mess, but he had enough time to get his recruits in and level them up, and they looked worse, not better. That's true. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that, <laughs> the more much champ players kind of filtered in, the worse the, the worst <laughs> results got. And, and injuries, man, look, you cannot coach winning football when you have that many injuries and when you have that many year after year after year, you have to kind of figure out why, you know, and and look, Beamer's had some injuries he's had to deal with. That's true. That's part of the game, but not as many as Muschamp had. And that's at Florida and South Carolina. Uh, Mm -hmm. said Muschamp couldn't win at Florida. What in the world may Tanner believe he could win at South Carolina? Well, um, and someone else made this point. Who's won at Florida? Besides Steve Spurrier and Urban Meyer, and Urban, three of those years he was an Outback Bowl team. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, the other three, they obviously won divisions and were in the national championship hunt and won two of them. But anybody been able to win consistently there? Back away and I mean, they, they actually fire people quicker than, you know, they, they don't give anybody a chance, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought the Dan Mullen firing was a panic move. Yeah, that that seemed a little premature. I mean, I know he. I, I just think maybe his style kind of rubbed them the wrong way. And, yeah, not a not a good person. Um, you know, uh, now Muschamp was looking back on it. You know, Dan Mullen and Jim McElwain won divisions and got to Atlanta. There, uh, the only two that haven't are Zucker and Muschamp. So, but I mean, at the time you didn't know that. Uh, the guy came highly recommended. He was going to be the head coach at Texas. Um, and I think that when you interview Will and you talk about Will, he knows a lot of football, uh, and, and he had a nice plan and recruiting. See, recruiting was the number one thing at that time because of the roster. 
you know, and I said it and everybody else said it without having, I mean, you didn't want to throw the remaining players completely under the bus, but somebody told me when Spurrier left, there were 20 guys that could play in the SEC on the whole roster. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and think about the 2016 offense that ended up being okay once Jake took over. Uh, how many of those guys were just true freshmen? You're talking about Rico Dowdle, uh, Brian Edwards. Um, you know, you, those guys were true freshmen. Jake was a true freshman. Um, you know, they really needed that. I mean, that first year was was tough. So I, it was recruiting. And, and here, here was the linchpin. And, and this is this is what ended up not being true. I am going to run a different offense. And, uh, and if I were Will Muschamp, I think he would have gotten a lot more slack had he gone to do, at least don't don't hire any offensive coaches from Florida at all. And he hired mm-hmm. Drew, and that didn't work out. And then it just it, it kind of uh, went down the drain. But if I understand, you know, when you when you think about who else was in the mix for that job, uh, shoot, I'd have still taken Will Muschamp over Rich Rodriguez or Willie Taggart or. You know, perhaps Greg Schiano. Um, well, there wasn't much left after Kirby went to Georgia. You know, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. <laughs> Everybody kills Ray because of all this, but uh, you know, Kirby Smart. There was no scenario. I mean, even if, let's say Kirby Smart had accepted the South Carolina job, come to Carolina, been on the job for a week, and Georgia had called. As long as he hadn't signed his contract, and maybe even if he did. He's pulling a Bobby Crimmins. Bobby Crimmins, yeah, exactly. See ya. <laughs> he played at Georgia. The Georgia job is great. You're inheriting a 10-win team instead of a, you know, a 3-win team. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I you know, the, the, the guy I could have made a like a, a better case for uh than than uh you know, who else was reali- realistically in the job is you know, probably like a uh you know, Sean Elliott. Um, you know, I look at Lincoln Riley, and he, of course, was a guy they interviewed. He was OC at Oklahoma at the time. I don't know. That's a tough one because the roster was in such bad shape. But uh, I, I, I was kind of against it then because I thought Will Muschamp would come in and recruit his butt off and, and hire a Lincoln Riley for offense. That didn't happen. Um, but that was kind of why that happened. Anyway, uh, we'll talk about more of that more of uh, uh, your questions from the Nana Sports chat box. The iHealth Consulting Mailbag has a lot going on in it as well. And uh, we'll uh, be back because it's uh, time for a break after these messages on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. If you're a listener, you know I feel strongly that if you're in the upstate and are in need of real estate services, Cindy Searfoss is your go-to person. Searfoss of Caldwell Banker Kane uh, can help you with any of your realty needs right there in the upstate of South Carolina, Greenville, Spartanburg, Anderson, Oconee, uh, Pickens, wherever you are. Cindy can help you with that. She's married to a die-hard Gamecock fan, has been in the upstate for more than 35 years. Right there in my hometown of Spartanburg, Daniel Morgan Avenue. Contact Cindy, 864-414-5271, or email csearfoss, C-S-E-A-R-F-O-S-S, at cbcane.com, C-B-C-A-I-N-E. That's Cindy Searfoss, a proud sponsor of the Inside the Gamecocks podcast, 
Check her out. We've already gotten several emails from listeners uh, that are very impressed with her professionalism and her ability to help you with your real estate needs. 864-414-5271, Sydney Searfoss of Caldwell Baker King. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Game Cox. Hey, hey, man, are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes, he takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah, same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues, and I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. Oh, I feel that, man. My head hurts, but I have a good lead on a good idea. I'm calling your boy Matthew Odom today from Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in making sure your IT network runs like a dream. If you have one or 500 employees, it doesn't matter. They do it all for one monthly fee and have clients from South Carolina all the way to California. Yeah, I heard that monthly fee's low, too, so I don't know why I didn't even think of that. Uh, Do you have 843-699-1001 as Matt's contact number? Yeah, man, I sure do that, or you can go to heritagedigital.com. Man, I hear they do a no-cost assessment. Boy, this will help me. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) I'm getting on that and encouraging everyone else to do the same. Heritage Digital, 843-699-1001 or heritagedigital.com, a proud sponsor of Inside the Gamecocks the show family vacations a new car a new boat all cost money but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now i help consulting can help you finally get the kids to disney world upgrade the minivan or drop that new boat in the water next summer let daniel and i help consulting consult with you no fees just savings you pay them a percentage of those savings save on essential services credit card fees you name it let them find it these folks are incredible i help consulting.com how can i help you hey folks jc here i've told you about nana's porch over and over again they sponsor our chat box on the show uh don't take my word for it though i wanted you to hear from game kite pitcher noah hall about our sponsor nana's porch nanasporch.com go there food truck catering whatever you need uh take it away noah what's up gamecock fans this is pitcher noah hall if you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good Southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. Yep, time to get back to the show. Shoot. All right, my man. Welcome back to Inside the Gamecocks, the show. The second hour of the show is brought to you by the Burgesson team at Remax by the Lake. Give Adam or Derek a call or shoot them an email at aburgesson, that's B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N, at remax.net. And, of course, the show is sponsored by Manscaped. Don't forget, use the code BIGSPUR at manscaped.com for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. All right. Hey, I yeah. uh, just got some good news via email, Phil. Hold on, I'm, I'm checking on it now. 
Cocktober. Anyway, it's got some good news uh, partnership-wise with uh, Manscaped. So it looks like they're going to be around for a while. Uh, so thank you to all of you out there, by the way, because you obviously bought, you know, I'll just tell you what it is. Okay, so we got yes. the Manscapes. There's a trial period that happens. You have to sell so much of it, right? Um, it's not a huge number, but it's not a small number. Uh, but we obviously surpassed that. The numbers look great. Uh, we got to send them some proof that we've been reading it and stuff like that. Um, and I'm going to let Phil do that because I, I don't have a clue how to get to that. Um, and then uh, we make some money. So uh, we, so that's that's you guys, man, because I know I was supposed to buy some. And I forgot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know my brother bought some, but that was about it. So, uh, you know, and I got to get some for the kids, as I mentioned, but, I don't, you know, um, they're teenagers. Don't worry about it. But uh, I, uh, yeah, thank you. Thank yeah, thank, you. Thanks thank to everybody. We really appreciate that. Oh, that Nana's Sports Chat Box rolls on. I'm just talking to Will Muschamp and all that. But, yeah, you know, look. Bad hire for Tanner with Muschamp. It didn't work out. Um, but somebody told me that that, that new Muschamp when he was at Texas, they're like, look, Will may not end up winning, but he'll leave it better than he found it. And, and I think in a lot of ways he did. Uh, now, I think the losing at the end was something Shane Beamer and his staff, uh, there was a lot of, there's a lot of the last couple of years, especially early this year with here we go again. You know, the Georgia game this year was an example. Some of the blowouts last season, right? Um, and so I, I think that's something that kind of set in with them, with the old staff. Uh, but player wise, a lot of guys going to the NFL that he recruited here. Uh, a lot of guys that helped Carolina win games. So, uh, we'll just close the book on that. But, uh, uh Twitter obviously likes Will Muschamp, uh, a lot better than the big spur. <laughs> because uh, they're on team Sparky. And, you know, looking back on it, I probably – I'd probably go with Sparky just because, you know, a lot of his – you know, Sparky would get on a run. You know, Sparky got on a run his second to last year. Carolina's first year of the SEC. Carolina went 5-1 and one to close it out, beat Tennessee. That was Tannehill's freshman year. It was it was a losing season that did not get end up in a bowl, but it was kind of magical. And at that point, you had two winning seasons where the admin screwed you. You had a transition year in 91, which wasn't that good. And then you, you won five games down the stretch your first year in the SEC, beat Tennessee, and nearly knocked off Florida. Um, so that set up for his final year, which was not which re, when reality set in, right? Muschamp mm-hmm. uh, never could break – he never could get – you know, he'd have a big moment, big win, right? And then it would just go – and then you have the rug pulled out from under you. Um, and that's one reason that, you know, Saturday night I think is pretty big for Shane Beamer because – you know, look, Texas A&M's not coming in here as a top-five team or anything, uh, but you had a big one on the road against your ranked team. You had a week to heal up. You match up better with the Aggies than you have probably at any point in the last four or five years. Uh, you win that game, all of a sudden you cash in, uh, and all those fans in the stands are still loving you and happy. And they mm-hmm. show back up for Missouri the next week. You cash in and break that streak again. And you're going to Vandy with a chance to get to seven. That should happen. Please, for the love of God, don't lose to Vanderbilt this year. Uh, which I, which I, you want to know? I'll be nervous that week. By the way, Vanderbilt mm-hmm. game—they have a good offense, and uh, it's a different kind of Vandy team. And Vandy's usually pretty good on defense, but not that good on offense. But uh, 
they're good on offense this year. Um, you know, and then you're, you're going to the swamp seven and two, and Florida's average is grits. You know, maybe, maybe they get on a roll. Who knows? But uh, ominous. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and that's one thing Will didn't do. He, he did not, you know, when, when it got to the point where everybody was ready to rally behind him, they would always face plant. Uh, and that's everything from 2017 Kentucky right on through to 2019 Tennessee to the to the you know LSU in 2020, all the same story. Yeah, and that thought is still in the back of my head going into this A and M game. It's yeah. like, man, we just had a major win at Kentucky, and now it's like you're just you're just waiting, you're waiting. And I'm like, no, it's not going to happen. We're going to have a good showing. <laughs> it's gonna do. People on the message board today were like, on the big spur, they were like, well, we have a bad habit of face planting at night at home. Well, the will, and I said, the will Muschamp era is over. Um, mm-hmm. and I know there's been some reminders. You know, that Kentucky game last season, Carolina. Had it. Uh, you ask anybody on the coaching staff last year, they thought that game slipped away. Uh, and then Clemson was obviously a terrible disappointment. Um, mm-hmm. Shane Beamer is six and two at home at night in his career, Carolina. Yeah, I mean we we got plenty of reason to be optimistic about what's about to happen. Uh, now, and yeah. <laughs> three of those wins are against Eastern Illinois, South Carolina State, Charlotte. Hey, but they're night games, man. You know, oh, Georgia State, so four and two. Yeah, and then Florida and Auburn last year. But, yeah, just just, just uh, concentrate on Florida and Auburn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just think about those. Or how big uh, the blowouts were against, you know, uh, <laughs> Charlotte and uh, South Carolina State. Jesse says, curious why you think Dante Miller does not get much playing time. Seems to be a stud and can be used greatly, especially on punt and kick returns. This is interesting. You know, look, I'm not a big – Xavier Leggett's done okay returning kickoffs. I think Juju McDowell's clearly the guy. I think he could be elite. But the problem is with Christian Bill Smith hurt and then back and then hurt again, I don't know that he won't redshirt, Phil. Um, but, you know, Juju's, gotta be, Juju's the number two back right now. Okay, so if I'm the coaching staff um, – I am going to do this because I agree with you. Dante Miller during mop-up times looked pretty good, mm-hmm. uh, and he's fast. What I'm going to do is maybe platoon. And, and, look, this all depends on how Miller's practicing. Do you think he can hold up? Uh, you know, has this guy got good ball security? That kind of thing because you don't want – you want somebody you could trust. Uh, and I'm going to let Juju go back to his role, and I'm going to maybe put Miller in for some, some secondary carries uh, if Bill Smith doesn't get back. Right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, it's a full strength. Maybe Amos too, uh, because yeah, I it's think, interesting. We haven't seen Amos except for on special teams. Yeah, I'm not a you know. Everybody used to kill Bobby Bentley about the running back rotation, uh, and just just ignored the fact that the rotation got cattywampus when everybody was hurt. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, you know, uh, yeah. Tyson Williams is having his best game at Ole Miss in 2018, and he breaks his arm. And so Turner and Mon Denson has to go back in and play. And everybody's trashing Bobby. Tyson broke his arm. <laughs> what are you supposed to do? <laughs> but, I, but I'll say this, you know, I, I think that, uh, yeah, Thomas Brown went through the same thing the next year. And uh, about the only running backs coach that's avoided the injury bug was Des Kitchings. Uh, and that's after Lloyd got hurt in the preseason. His his. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the, the running backs rotation now leaves a lot to be desired. 
and it has for two years. Um, so uh, I doubt anything will change, but I think with Juju McDowell, he he is less productive as a number two back where he's got to go in and, and do it than he is as a as a third da- third down style back, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and a slot guy and all that. So I think a good idea would be to, to Miller or whoever – let that guy be the number two back as long as he can hold on to the ball because Dante is so fast. I mean, man, he can make things happen. I don't care if he's a walk-on. Um, and then let Juju go back to doing what he's doing. Maybe that happened during the open date. I doubt it. Well, we, we shall see. Shall see. Uh, Doc says overcoming history is what every head coach faces at Carolina. We're just 500 historically. Can that improve? Absolutely have to believe. And I'll tell you this, Doc, though, mm-hmm. uh, I kind of look at it as since 2000. Because think about what in 2000, Lou turned it around from 0 and 11, with laughing stock program in the SEC. Since that point, Carolina's in a bowl game most years. Carolina has winning seasons most years. Carolina's beaten the number one team, Alabama. Carolina's uh, beaten how many top five teams since 2000? Carolina's won how many bowl games? Carolina's beaten Ohio State twice, Michigan twice. Uh, programs like Nebraska, Miami, and you know uh, Florida, many many times, and, and all the Georgia. You know, it's not your, you know, anything before two thousand. In my opinion, is either ACC, um, then a big t- period of time as an independent where there was a complete, there was commitment for a while in the mid eighties, and then there's the, the commitment fell out. Um, the university was a dumpster fire. Uh, and then you're transitioning to the SEC for eight years and you couldn't get the higher right until Lou. Um, but since then, you know, the, the expectations have changed. Spurrier l- took those expectations from, okay, the, all right, so the expectation is to get to a bowl game every year to, hey, well, the expectation now uh, is to contend for the SEC East most years. Mm-hmm. Now, unfortunately, the SEC East is going away, so I don't know what the expectation is going to be then, but, you know, that's where the program got to. So it's different. Uh, and, and people that talk about the history all the time, I mean, I get it. There's not much of the trophy case. I get it. The program's taken a little bit of a dip since Spurrier left. But this program's still in bowl games most years. This program still can beat people. It's much more respected, uh, and it, it's much closer to some of its peer schools in the SEC, like the Mississippis or Arkansas or Kentucky or whoever, than it is to Vanderbilt, mm. uh, you know, it, just in my opinion. So, but yeah, the history's kind of, you know, obviously iffy, but it's gotten a lot better the last 22 years. Uh, and I think, I think that's kind of the standard now around here. Um, lady says, lady Bree says we were losing. So bringing in a defensive minded head coach felt like a good choice. I thought that he would, I thought they'd have a, you know, because, and this is probably why Tanner hired him. They, had a, they didn't have just a good defense. They had an elite defense at Florida. Mm-hmm. Now, five stars and a bunch of guys, Urban Meyer left him, and then he recruited on defense great. If you look at his offensive recruiting, not that good. Mm-hmm. And that here. defense was good even through injury, too, JC. Yeah. I mean, they, they had guys. That's an injury, and they still mm-hmm. had dudes. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I think he recruited on offense better on, on South Carolina than on defense. Mm hmm. Crazy enough. 
Yeah, uh, it was, it was, yeah, because I mean, you know, the recruiting uh, thought the defense was good. I mean, we just thought. I mean, I thought it was a good hire. I I didn't mind it, uh, you know, until it looked like it was going south, and then I'm like, oh my god, <laughs> we got to get out, pull the plug. <laughs> um, Mr. Andrew says, "Good morning. How much hotter does Jimbo's seat get with a loss to USC this weekend? Oh, they're not going to be happy." No. Mm-mm. You know, Lady Brick says he, she expects circa 200 rushing yard game. Uh, Doc says Spencer can't throw them the ball. Yeah, that's going to end up badly if Rattler mm-hmm. turns it over. Um, Tim says last three defensive minded was okay, but not much, champ. His defenses were not good at Florida. I don't know what Florida Gators you were watching during the Muschamp era. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were better choices out there. Who? Tanner went on the cheap. Uh, no. Money had nothing to do with, with Muschamp. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's one of those things that people talk about all the time that's just, just wrong and and – uh, I don't know. Uh, my guess is that someone out there that probably thinks they should know or that's connected, somebody went around saying that, but, but that's just not true. Uh, that's just not true at all. And uh, there was nothing cheap about the Muschamp hire, man. <laughs> Look how much it cost at the end. Yeah, yeah that's right, yeah. <laughs> you know, there was nothing cheap about that. His, his salary was higher than Beamer's when he started. I think he's making, what, 3.1, 3.2? And that was when, you know, six was high. Mm. Uh, so there was no on the cheap, Tim. On the ch- you you want to go on the cheap, they'd hired Shane Beamer then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, or promoted Elliot, who would have probably done it for free. <laughs> Not for free, but, you know, he wouldn't have required that much money. Um, so on the cheap has really nothing to do with it. And I, and I think that's what's kind of sad sometimes about the narrative uh, surrounding Ray Tanner. I mean – Look, Lamont Paris is getting paid probably much better than I probably would have paid him. You know, he's getting $2.2 million a year uh, to coach men's basketball. And people were talking about how that's a cheap hire. I mean, that's, that's a lot of money for, you know, a, a, an unproven Division One talent or, you know, coach. And, and Tim, you're a great chat boxer. I just, I don't know why I'm disagreeing with you so much today. I'm fast forwarding. SEC Mike says A&M has no business losing this game, and I'm bewildered how he arrived at that thought. Well, we will get to ask him, JC, at noon on Thursday. SEC Michael Bratton coming on noon Thursday. No business losing it. I don't know, man. I don't know what – because they beat Arkansas. I mean, you know, I guess if you're doing the transitive property. Either that or if you're just looking at stars. Star ratings. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah, that'll be good. Um, keep going on. Um, Dorn, Dorn. Hey, Tim Dorn. Okay, so we're gonna call him Dorn, like, uh, like for Major League Dorn. Dorn. Mm -hmm. I've activated. Dorn's activated himself. (laughs) Alex says, "What's up with Corey Rucker? He's all about some Tennessee. I think he's going to redshirt and enter the portal." No, that's not true. I mean, some some of you really need to like stop making things up about players that you read on social media and interpreting their social media. Um, that can get you in trouble, right? I have a friend right now that's recently single, and it's kind of weird because he's just kind of getting back into the dating and stuff, and he loves to interpret things off social media. 
that females he's interested in or saying and all we'll sit at the bar and he'll go this that and the other and i'm like man shit when i got divorced in 2013 right i was like kind of got thrown in the ocean or 2012 mm-hmm. um you get thrown in the ocean and, and and if you're a gen xer like me social media stuff's new so you kind of you'll, you'll snoop around a little bit i quickly learned never to do that because it's dumb. And you're and you're never right. You're never right. Yeah, um, it's like I remind my you know, fourteen year old it was like things are not always as they seem on social media. So yeah. you know, take it, you know, it If there's an and Corey's back on the depth chart this week, by the way. If there's an issue with Corey, mm-hmm. I think I think Corey's gotta get out there and you know, love football a little bit more. And maybe mm-hmm. you know, I don't know about social media because he's all over social media. Uh, well, I think he hinted at it too, JC, coming off of that foot that he had earlier, you know, in the year where he was like, he's just out of shape. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. out of shape. Gotta get back in shape. Um, Lady Bree says, Corey said he wanted to party. You mentioned Mississippi State the week before, but he's from there. He could be looking to transfer, but he could just be looking for a party. I think party, man. Yeah, look like a hell of a party in Knoxville this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> I don't really understand that. 76, Phil's got me laughing, but I swear, JC, if they throw 10 bubble screens, I'm going to vomit. Uh, yeah, I can't. <laughs> I can't get my head will explode. <laughs> Craig says something about Fuente, hiring Fuente. Mm, yeah, the roster to been Southern Conference level by now. That dude, like, seriously, he told Tanner, I don't want to recruit. And that, that's kind of the end of the conversations that happened between Fuente and South Carolina. He was right. You know, I, I thought maybe he just didn't want to recruit like the SEC, you know, and get into these battles, battle royales in the league like you do. And so a place like Virginia Tech where they recruit a different way, where they go make evaluations and all, just like Frank Beamer, you know, mm-hmm. did. I was like, well, that's a perfect fit. I was all about it. But no, 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 no. He literally didn't want to recruit in Virginia Tech the way they do either. And obviously. He didn't even want to keep good players in Virginia Tech. They ended up going with Braxton Burmeister over freaking Hendon Hooker. It's insane. And, 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 Phil, it was insane when it happened. I thought it was insane when it happened, you know. Yeah, I, was, I remember you commenting. I think it was the J.C. and Morgan you were talking yeah. about how stupid it was. <laughs> when, uh, when, and when when Hooker signed with Tennessee, you know, when Milton signed with Tennessee, I was like, eh, no, if he yeah, puts it all together, it'd be good. But he hadn't put it all together in years. Uh, I was like, eh, but then Hooker came in late, and I was like, Ooh, that could be problematic. Mm-hmm. Now, I didn't expect what's going on now. I'll be honest, because I wasn't a big – I'll be honest, I was probably wrong about Josh Hyper. But, uh, you know, I, I, that kind of – you know, you know when other teams sign players, you kind of go, ooh, that, that may come back to me. Like Will Shipley for Clemson was yeah. like that with me. And I was like, hey, I kind of wish he'd gone to NC State. They're not on the schedule. <laughs> I have a feeling this is not going to turn out well for the Gamecocks. Sure enough, last year was a good example of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's the thing. Uh, Joseph says, I'm the only one that thinks Tennessee's maybe just a top 15 team. They beat a flawed Alabama team that could have lost to Texas and Texas a and Well, Joe, don't compare scores. It's a transitive property. It never works. It'll get you beat. But uh, I, uh, I, I'm going to quit not being sold on them for now. Yeah. Um, I think they're – 
the fact that they're top ten in rush defense to me, and then look, I think uh, who was it that the, the cupcakes they played Akron and Ball State. Uh, they, they, those guys couldn't get the ground game going. Um, and they got gonna, Tennessee Martin this weekend, so yeah, that's good stats are going to go up. But mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of selling out to stop the run, you know, and then teams aren't figuring them out defensively right now. And I think when your offense can't be stopped like that, you can take all sorts of chances on defense. Mm-hmm. You can zero blitz on a rundown. Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, hey, you know what? They break a long one on you. Who cares? You're going to score yep. again in 15 seconds, <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't know. We'll, we'll see. We'll see. How t- I'm, you know what? I'm curious to see, Phil. How does Tennessee in two weeks, and and they've owned this team. They've owned this team. I gotta stop looking. I'm, I'm like sideways because of this new angle. Uh, look at my profile. It's sexy. Um, <laughs> sassy. You're a sassy. Smolder. <laughs> Blue steel. It's magnum. It's beautiful. Um, no. Uh, I, I, how does Kentucky play Tennessee? I'm I'm very interested. Everybody's pointing at Georgia, but I'm like, I want to see how the Kentucky defense is good, you know, is going to yeah. play against this team. Tennessee's owned them like nobody's business. Mm. Tennessee's owned Kentucky, owned, 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 owned. But, however, um, that's the type of spider web team. You know, I didn't think Alabama tried to get them in a spider web. No, I, I, I can't. I just it, the the game plan for Alabama this past weekend was just kind of baffling. When I when I, when I was sitting there watching it, I even watched a little bit of it again. I'm like, what? What did they? They do? just walked in and popped it on the table, and we're like, we're Bama. Yeah, I mean, Stop. you know, yeah. And they're right. like, okay, we're sure. you know, it's like, like I said, their offense is so good. Their defense every week they lose a starter every week, <laughs> and, and 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 they're they're like they don't care. I mean. All right, we're just gonna blitz into the run, and then you know, and hey, if you can complete something over the top, it's fine because we're gonna score anyway. Yep, we'll just be right back on the field and be throwing it over your head. <laughs> and the thing of it is, Hooker's so accurate; he is so accurate, and, and I think it's gonna give him a long NFL career. Quite frankly, Phil, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's just there's no even when he's rushed, there's no errant passes. I, I mean, this guy's like automatic; it's like a machine. Yeah, it's only one maybe off-target pass, and and you know who, who's to say it's not the receiver's fault for running the wrong route. <laughs> uh, Clint says Amos fumbled on his own carry this season, unfortunately. Yeah, but everybody fumbles, Clint, and I don't think if a guy can help you and kind of um, allow you not to have to play Juju McDowell as your second back, you probably need to forgive it and, and see. Mm-hmm. Now, if he fumbles all the time, you got to bench him, obviously. But uh, I, I just, I think that's an issue right now, not only with you know Juju's production, but also kind of with the flow of the offense. I just, I don't like the running, what they're doing with the running backs outside of Lloyd right now, and I didn't like what they did with Lloyd in a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Frederick says the main problem with uh, Muschamp was the defense was never good. Uh, Chase says, like you know what you're talking about, blah blah blah. Muschamp um, was a safety genius, but ours always lacked talent. Yeah, and I, I'll say this: they also lacked. Uh, it's it, very complicated to run, and it, and that's why, I like when we talk about the offense, it's extra frustrating because, you know, like I guess conceptual, conceptually, concept wise, 
Clayton White kind of runs the same types of things Will Muschamp does. They even have a buck. Woo! But look how much between 2020 and 2021, despite less talent, you know, despite some players like Jalen Foster that hadn't played a whole lot, that were less than ideal, how much more free that defense played mm-hmm. and how how faster, how much faster they played. You know why? Because they weren't confused. Yeah. <laughs> it's easier. Wow, you, you want to play fast on offense? Don't be confused. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says, if anything, we have Beamer on the cheap. Yeah, I'm surprised she didn't get a raise last year. In fact, I think that's crap. I think he deserved at least a little. Mm-hmm. Uh, Queasy says, could the Gamecocks play spoiler for the college football playoff with Tennessee and Clemson as the last two games this year? That would be what, Phil? Oh, that would well. be an Auburn 2017 type of finish. Yeah, it would. It would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, there's no you yeah, you could blow up both of those teams going into the playoff. Yeah, mm-hmm. I remember Auburn beat uh, Georgia pretty badly, and then uh, beat Alabama pretty good too. The last two games of 2017, they were the best team in the country. Lo and behold, their their running back got hurt, and Georgia got them pretty good. And Georgia went to the playoff instead of Auburn. This was kind of life of an Auburn fan, and we haven't heard much from Auburn since, except two losses to the Gamecocks, <laughs> which you know. I don't know. I kind of wish those two wins would have come in, you know, maybe uh, 2010 and 2011 instead of the last two, but I guess you take it. I guess you take it. All right. More of Nana Sports chat box coming up, more interaction um, and uh, all that. And uh, we will also get to the I Help Consulting mailbag. And uh, right here, uh, final break of a great, wonderful, fantastic, high energy. Tuesday, and we didn't have Chris Phillips on today, so that's good. Right here, Inside the Game Costa Show. If you're looking to sell or buy multifamily property right here in South Carolina, the Burgesson team of Remax at the Lake can help you get to closing fast and easy. Adam and Derek Burgesson both are very proud Gamecocks and are more than happy to assist you with any of your commercial real estate needs all across the state. You can email Adam at aburgesson at remax.net. That's A-B-E-R-G-E-S-O-N at remax.net to get your next deal underway. The Burgesson team, proud sponsors of Inside the Gamecocks. Attention golfers of all ages and skill sets. Former Gamecock golfer Meredith Taylor will be a full-time golf instructor in the Midlands of South Carolina very, very soon. You want to take advantage of this opportunity. If you're like me and you got to get a whole lot better at golf, or even if you're looking to refine your swing, Meredith is the person you need to go to. She's competing in her final USGA Mid-Amateur Tournament this summer before going full-time into teaching and coaching individuals. If you're in South Carolina, Meredith will be conducting in-person golf lessons at the Country Club of Lexington. Half hour, hour, on course. She'll play 9 or 18 with you. If you're out of state, though, this is really exciting. She'll be conducting virtual lessons. You can send in your swing for her expert analysis. Also, in November, she'll launch an online course with video instruction for all ages and skill levels. Meredith has 20-plus years of knowledge, former SEC golfer, all of that. So contact her on Twitter, at Taylor at M-E-R-T-A-Y-L-O-R, or go to McKellarEnterprises.org. McKellar spelled M-C-K-E-L-L-A-R, Enterprises.org. Her email's on the website, so you can connect with her for any other questions. Go get your golf game in order. Take advantage of Meredith Taylor and her services. 
Family vacations, a new car, a new boat, all cost money, but you don't necessarily have to make more to afford any of that if you can save cash that's flying out the window now. iHelp Consulting can help you finally get the kids to Disney World, upgrade the minivan, or drop that new boat in the water next summer. Let Daniel and iHelp Consulting consult with you. No fees, just savings. You pay them a percentage of those savings. Save on essential services, credit card fees, you name it. Let them find it. These folks are incredible. iHelpConsulting.com. How can I help you? Hey, folks, JC here. I've told you about Nana's Porch over and over again. They sponsor our chat box on the show. Uh, Don't take my word for it, though. I wanted you to hear from Gamecock pitcher Noah Hall about our sponsor, Nana's Porch. Nana'sPorch.com. Go there, food truck, catering, whatever you need. Uh, Take it away, Noah. What's up, Gamecock fans? This is Pitcher Noah Hall. If you want some delicious food for your event, I suggest visiting nanasports.com today to find out what they all have to offer. It's really good southern cuisine based out of Charlotte, my hometown. I hope you guys go check it out. Go Cox and go Nanas. Hey, man, are you sick and tired of your business computer guy? Yes, he takes forever to call me back and doesn't always respond to the requests. Yeah, same here. I'm paying him good money. I constantly have issues. And I'm worried he's not backing up my network and securing it properly. Oh, I feel that, man. My head hurts. But I have a good lead on a good idea. I'm calling your boy Matthew Odom today from Heritage Digital. Heritage Digital is an IT firm that specializes in making sure your IT network runs like a dream. If you have one or 500 employees, it doesn't matter. They do it all for one monthly fee and have clients from South Carolina all the way to California. Yeah, I heard that monthly fee's low, too, so I don't know why I didn't even think of that. Uh, Do you have 843-699-1001 as Matt's contact number? Yeah, man, I sure do that, or you can go to heritagedigital.com. Man, I hear they do a no-cost assessment. Boy, this will help me. Yeah, I bet. (laughs) I'm getting on that and encouraging everyone else to do the same. Heritage Digital, 843-699-1001 or heritagedigital.com, a proud sponsor of Inside the Gamecocks, the show this this is braylon wimmer south carolina gamecock baseball and you are listening to inside the gamecocks the show with jc and phil go cox unmute yourself philip philip you're muted hit unmute okay good now can there you, you go oh I okay hear you now. My cat jumped up here and and I <laughs> went nuts. <laughs> I know it. I know it. Awesome. So welcome back to the second hour of the show. That's just going to go completely off the rails. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, welcome back to Inside the Game Guys, the podcast, the IL Consulting Mailbag. Uh, Shane says this. A uh, long-time listener, first-time writer. Thanks for all you do. It's greatly appreciated. Gamecock living in Aggie land. Mm. I'd like to get your thoughts on Satterfield. If South Carolina goes 7-5 or 8-4 and four this year. Can you realistically get rid of him at the end of the year with the relationship between Beamer and Sat? And when you look at what they accomplished last year, will the numbers allow you to have a legitimate leg to stand on when it comes to moving on from Satterfield? I'm not a Satterfield fan, for the record. I believe you said if – or either Keith said it a while back, it's not whether you win or lose, it's about how you win or lose. Uh, I don't think I've ever said that. My, my, my mantra is usually just win, baby. Uh, but, but that's SEC games, you know. 
Um, that's not struggling against Troy or, you know, I know Vanderbilt's in the SEC or East Carolina or teams like that. And looking like you don't know what you're doing on offense. Uh, but, but that's not an overall theory of mine. Frankly, our offense doesn't look very good. Even when we put 50 up on the board, misuse of personnel. If you're an outsider looking in and don't know all the intricacies, how do you get rid of a guy that goes six and six with four different starting quarterbacks? Yeah. But again, that wasn't like, there was one and then one and then one. I mean, they all kind of had a run. I don't even know if he played the best one most of the year. Uh, and then go seven to five or eight and four second year with a lot better personnel. would love to get your feedback. I'll say this. South Carolina went from six wins to nine under Will Muschamp his second year. And what happened? What happened, Phil? Kurt Roper got fired. Dude, I'm, I'm completely out. If you vamp for a little bit, I'm going to try to fix this. <laughs> okay, no problem. And what happened? Uh, Kurt Roper got fired. Uh, look, uh, Steve Spurrier, you know, fired his, you know, demoted his defensive coordinator in the middle of his first season at South Carolina uh, and replaced him with Tyrone Nix. And then two years later, Nix was gone. <laughs> And then Ellis came in. You know, I mean, so I, I I think coaches look at the production and the philosophy and where they're headed with it. Um, you know, and, and, and I think these next six games are important for Marcus Satterfield. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll never quit questioning the, the wisdom in running an offense that takes years and months for players to learn and adapt to at this level because you just don't have time in college. Uh, and Keith made a good point in the transfer portal era when you're bringing – where you're going to have more roster movement and, and guys you're bringing in from the portal that you're going to count on to play, uh, particularly at some years at quarterback. I mean, is that – I mean, look, look at the difference between, like, you know, Oklahoma's offense and um, – you know, what they've been able to do with transfer quarterbacks in uh, South Carolina's and Rattler this year. Um, so I, I don't, you know, and Jason Brown last year for that matter. Uh, so I'll always question that wisdom. But, hey, man, they go out there and have a really good second half of the year and run the ball and, you know, get it going and it makes sense. And Rattler has a better second half and the passing game gets going. You know, I, I – well, you probably wouldn't change. You know, I don't think the record has much to do with it, you know, in terms of, you know, I, th- I think it's more like how does the offense perform? I mean, are you still blowing block, block punt opportunities or is your quarterback still confused, that kind of thing? So that's the deal there. Will says, I bet money sat ends up with Rule and Rule gets a college job. Hey, he's worked for him before. Sometimes we think that, though, and it doesn't happen. So... You know, who knows? Uh, Craig says, Craig says, if receivers won't come here because of set, you can get rid of them. That's a problem. That is. Um, Xavier says, hey, guys, if we go out this week and have no offensive production, what do we do? Oh, you hope that he can figure out Missouri's defense, but that's a much improved unit over last year. <laughs> um, you, you just keep going. I mean, you know, if you were going to make a – see, the, if you were going to make a move, you know, I think – if you go up, struggle with Kentucky, and they beat you with their backup quarterback again, th- then you probably consider at least some kind of change in duties. 
um, during the open date because it's easy to get going. But uh, I, I think in the second half with the way they ran it and, and sort of, you know, the increased tempo. And, and look, Shane Beamer's got to keep keep it. He and the rest of the staff they, and, and Senator, they all got to kind of work together on this and look at, like, what's worked and what hadn't. What's worked is, you know, what doesn't work is a bunch of methodical BS, you know, with – personnel groupings running in and out and, and you let the other defense adjust and Rattler's got all day to sit there and think and, you know, the daggone play. I mean, look, in, in this offseason, man, uh, if if Satterfield remains as the OC, if I'm Shane Beamer, I'm sitting down saying, okay, we, we've got eight word plays. We're going to make those into symbols or shapes or colors or something because that's ridiculous in college football. I mean, that, that's insane. It's insane. You know, you expect people to learn that. So, you know, I'm 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 waking at work, you know, and then I'm, uh, uh, you know, I'm trying to figure this out. Um, but I think moving forward, I mean, look at what worked the second half against Kentucky: running the football, uh, giving, setting Spencer Rattler up for success, having good timely play calls and explosive plays in the passing game. I mean, you know, is it bad that Juice Wells doesn't get the touches? Is it bad that Jaheim Bell? Yeah, absolutely. That's ridiculous. Uh, along with some of the running back stuff. But, um, you know, on top of that, there has been some good things they've found. I think the the Nate Atkins, Wyatt Campbell blocking duo is good. I think that uh, the offensive line's playing better. That's et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, Joey says the draw play that has been called several times this year has not worked yet, and it's always called on third or fourth down. Yeah, I'd, I'd run a draw second down, something like that. You know, the draw play can work. Steve Spurrier, that was kind of his only running play for a long time. Uh, and so uh, I would, you know, I, I would keep trying to work it, but probably not at those times that, that uh, you mentioned, uh, Joey. Krager says, Rattler's Rolodex on his wrist makes me shake my head every time. Yeah. I mean, especially when you look, Alabama's got Alabama's doing what everybody else does now. And look, that's a pro style offense. That's Bill O'Brien, guys. You know, that's a guy that's been in the NFL a long time. And uh, Bob, um, you know, he's got poster board with emojis and Pac Man and crap like that on it. So, you know, that's the thing. I think we lost Phil. Oh my gosh. Um, Jared says, Craig, if Satterfield was wearing a wristband, I would be pissed. Yeah, that'd be that, that. I don't know about what that. I don't know what that would make me feel. Um, but anyway, you know, I, I, I. But I think with this offense right now, uh, if they do what they're doing, they uh, they did against Kentucky, and, and what they're you know what they do well, and they uh, they can beat any of them with that. They can beat Missouri. They can beat Vandy, Vanderbilt. They can beat Florida. You know, I don't know. I mean, I, I think you're going to have to have a pretty special game plan for uh, Tennessee at Clemson. Um, but I think they can win, you know, the next four or five. Certainly. Got to execute. Noah says, JC and Phil, are you excited as I am for the A&M game? I'm calling my shot now, taking Gamecocks 27-20, considering we've never beaten A&M. Is there a chance that a win would end with a field storming? Thanks, Noah. Um, I don't know. Carolina... That's one of those act like you've been there kind of things, Jason. Yeah, maybe when when Carolina beat Alabama. Well, you know, what did Clemson – Clemson stormed the field against somebody they hadn't beaten in a long time. 
Don't they always kind of uh, Carolina. meander out onto the field, though, after the yeah, thing? Yeah, it's 2014 when they beat Carolina. They stormed the field, and I think uh, oh, there's yeah. one other time they did it, too. Um, but, no, I, I you know, they're not going to tear down the goalpost, I'll tell you that, because no. Car- <laughs> Carolina's got collapsible ones, and I think they'll do that. I think, I think Tennessee just – even their AD and president were like, tear them down. They're all smoking cigars. I mean, it's uh, yeah, I love the president. He's like, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> doesn't do it. Matter. I don't care. Give me another gin and tonic. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. You know, I, I'd probably save that for you know. I don't know. Next time you beat Clemson at home or beat a number one team, I mean, A and M is three and three and one and three in the league. <laughs> I think there was fifth place in the West. Yeah. Uh, so I don't, I don't know, you know, but I, you know, look, it, 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 regardless of all that, Noah, it is a big game for South Carolina. It's huge. It's huge. Mm-hmm. Pike man comes in. Uh, he says, uh, and I got a chance to meet Pike man and his wife, lovely wife. Uh, they're from Greenville um, at Keeneland when I was there a couple weeks ago. And I appreciated that and all that good stuff. Uh, he says, JC, it's a pleasure meeting you at Keeneland the other weekend. My wife and I enjoy talking to you and your fiance. Speaking about this weekend, in my opinion, we have to break the trend of starting slow in the first half. Keep in mind, the Gamecocks, you're right. But keep in mind, they did start fast at Kentucky. It was just special teams and defense. <laughs> the offense did not. A strong start in the first half will be a huge demoralizing blow to an A&M team that's underperformed given their season's expectations. And look, A&M has not gotten off to great starts this year either. Uh, kind of go back and look at them. Like I said, Mississippi State shut them out in the first half. You know, Bama, and I think they punted like the first three or four times against Bama. Um, Arkansas was wailing on them before they kind of re- regrouped. Uh, I don't know that they got off to a great start against Miami, certainly not App State. Uh up seventeen nothing on Sam Houston ended up winning thirty one nothing way back in the opener, but that's a long time ago. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, Phil, I think you know the A and M doesn't start that great either. No, 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 and and it's not like they've put it together in the second half of these games to really you know get yeah. the record where they want it to be. So I mean, I guess we have that in our favor, but I know we would all feel a lot better if all three phases of the game came out rolling. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, Carolina gets up fourteen nothing or so Saturday early. You know, they've got to maintain it and keep going, but that that's number one going to give Carolina a big boost. And number two, it's going to make A&M, especially on offense, start to question themselves quite a bit, I would yeah. think. I, I think um, it would be easy to to demoralize this team after yeah. what they've been through and, and having to sit on this bad loss for two weeks. If you came out there and just jumped right on them, I think you're just going to steal their spirit. And then, of course, you're only going to feed Willie B at that point. <laughs> exactly. I'm not so sure we can survive a slow first half trying to play from behind. I would I would say that, too, but, you know, I, I keep – this game reminds me in a lot of ways of the Auburn game last year. Hmm. Uh, you know, Auburn – very capable team that had fallen on hard times. Auburn comes in, can't stop Tank Bigsby. It's 14 nothing. Now, the difference is Jimbo's probably going to keep riding Tank Bigsby. I mean, Devin, a chain if he's not yeah. chain if, he, if he's not being stopped. But, you know, Carolina came back, took advantage of some misfortune. They kept playing and then eventually uh, overcame. Uh, even Florida last year, 
Uh, I think it was 10, 10, 10, you know, it was three, nothing. So, yeah, Florida had an early lead in that one uh, before Carolina exploded in the second quarter. So, you know, we'll see. I, I, I think we all would love to see Phil a great start. Um, the problem is sometimes if you start fast, sometimes you don't finish fast. We've seen that around here before too, you know, with opponents and Carolina. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I agree. I tend to agree with you, Pike, about, uh, uh, A&M probably starting to question themselves. He said, once again, this is another opportunity to springboard momentum for the fan base and program going forward, coming off a big win. Opportunities we have squandered in the past. And that's, see, now that's a good point. Somebody was talking about night games being a bust, and that's when I pointed out the Beamer's night game record. Uh, I think there's something to be said, to be honest, for, for Muschamp's teams not playing well at night at all, home or away. Uh, and my theory is the guys were tired because most champs teams played much better at noon, much better, got up raring to go. Um, and I, I think there's just a lot of intensity on game day. And I think I think if you're intense all day and you get to that night game, you know, uh, the minute you get into the game and you're you're physically kind of getting getting that tired feeling, it, it, you, you kind of just almost collapse because you, you're spent at that point. Uh, I think Beamer has a better, you know, much better approach based on results uh, for night games in general. Uh, but if you're talking about taking advantage of something, uh, you know, in other words, big moment and then follow it up with another good moment, you know, and be consistent and win. Um, that hasn't happened. And, and that's been a problem with Beamer too, because you think about Florida, you go out to Missouri and that was that, the Clemson game to me, Phil, was the most embarrassing loss last year just because I don't think that was a very good Clemson team. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and you hold them to 99 passing yards and they still beat you. It's the same game that we've all watched. Uh, how many times in Columbia when they've come down? No, 17? Run all over you, you know, yeah. can't score. Yeah. yeah. Um, that, 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 was the, but that Missouri game was awful. Because Missouri was awful. And you go out there and they did start fast and then squandered it because, well, for a lot of reasons, you know. So then you come back and beat Auburn and then you have the Clemson debacle. Well, then you come back and beat North Carolina. Well, then you come back into this season and then you did beat Georgia State, but then you got Arkansas and Georgia and that sucks. And then now you're back. Okay. So time to kind of get a move on, right? You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> rather than this win loss, win loss thing. Um, and I think it's a good opportunity to not only win this one, but to go on a little bit of a run, you know, and, and have a good year, have that good year people were talking about. You know, there's only two losses. I don't care what the score was against Georgia and how many points Arkansas scored. That's only two losses, you know, yeah. and, and the rest of them can, can be had um, in various ways. And the team uh, is better now. I mean, it's obvious that the team is playing better now than they were at the beginning of the year, too. So it was like, it's not like you you lucked into a couple here. <laughs> I mean, and that's the thing, too. It's like, uh, you know, it, it, it's like that. You know, it's uh, it, it. people talk about the opponent and then, oh, Kentucky's quarterback's out. Well, Kentucky's quarterback had nothing to do with how Carolina blocked right. against the Wildcats. Um, you know, I, I actually think their young quarterback played pretty well. Uh, people are like, well, A&M's quarterback is going to be – much better because he's a five-star. I think he's t- more talented, obviously. You know, guys like that are talented. Jimbo loves him. Uh, at the same time, 
that guy at Kentucky last week, he, he, he wasn't a true freshman. He's a red shirt. So he's already been in the program for a year. He just hadn't played in the game. I think that kid had a pretty decent arm. Uh, Carolina just overwhelmed a bad offensive line. Now, here's the question. Some of this talk about A&M's offensive line being reshuffled or uh, I think one of their posters on their message board called it a dumpster fire. Um, if you kind of look at how their offense is done, you know, yeah, they're not they're not as good as they normally are. So that's my question. Is this another bad offensive line? Uh, and I don't know that yet. I knew enough about Kentucky because I knew some people that had seen them uh, and all that in person multiple times to say they're not the same as they were. I don't know that about A&M just yet. Uh, Maybe the case, but I'd be an idiot if I sat here and just made stuff up. They're not that good. And then they blow Carolina completely off the ball and H.A. rushes for 245. And he can't. Haynes King runs a seventy-yard touchdown. Everybody's going. Saul Varsity's horn. Saul Varsity's horns off. That's a. That's in their fight song, by the way. Animal cruelty. <laughs> Varsity is a. I guess what used to be called B, What's now Bevo. The. Uh, oh, the, the steer. Yeah, yeah, the longhorn. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess. I guess his name used to be Varsity. Um, Saw varsity's horns off. Saw varsity's horns off. Saw varsity's horns off. No, 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 no. Yeah, you, you want to talk about some some cultish things? A and M does. The cult, yeah, Jason. Fight songs. You know, it's like you know, people, people. I don't People care if they have owned us. They they are very cult like. <laughs> All male cheerleading core is weird a little bit. Um, yeah, Craiger says Oregon got killed by Georgia and hadn't lost since. They haven't. No, and, uh, <laughs> that may be another coach I was wrong about is Dan Lanning and Kenny Dillingham, their OC, because I was like, what in the hell are you guys doing? Uh, but also, Bo Nick, sometimes, you know. Bo Nix will go out and have six, seven great games in a row. And then the inevitable Bo Nix game happens. <laughs> uh, the, Bo, the bad Bo Nix game, you know. I mean, like last year at Auburn, he goes and almost single-handedly beats LSU. Auburn hadn't won at LSU since 1999. Okay, they go down there. I think they only had like 100 yards of offense, but Bo was fantastic, right? Or 100 yards rushing. Bo was fantastic. They went. Uh, and then the next thing, you know, he's throwing picks and, you know, breaking down. It was terrible. By the time he played the Gamecocks, uh, they were bad. So, mm-hmm. you know, Saul Varsity's horns off. I feel bad for the steer, you know. I'm like, dude, because you, you don't do that. No. That's like people that kill elephants and take yeah, their tusks. The tusks, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, you're a big man for shooting an elephant with an AK-47. <laughs> I don't have anything against hunting. I don't have anything against hunting at all. But but some of this stuff, you know. It reminds me of that Jerry Clower bit. You know, it was like, give everything a sporting chance. Give everything a sporting chance. Give everything a sporting chance. Let them them run. Give them a gun. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I come from a long – my grandfather used to go dove hunting and stuff. And I'm like – I always kind of try to wrap my head around that. I'm like, a dove is a very peaceful, it's a, the bird of peace. And my grandfather was a very religious person. Uh, that's on my mom's side. Uh, he loved to go dove hunting. And I was like, well, uh, 
Why are you shooting doves? Right. <laughs> well, we just go shoot flamingos while we're at it. <laughs> anyway, she shoot a flamingo. I'm going flamingo hunting. Flamingo hunting. <laughs> uh, I uh, I have a I have a lot of respect for people who hunt. And, you know, I'm not one of these people that cries because it looks like Bambi or anything. But like some of these people that are just out there, you know killing majestic animals and cutting off their tusks and, you know, the Aggies cutting off a daggum uh, uh, steer's horns and putting it in their fight song. That's got to be tough. I wonder hey, if it, they've ever done that as like a prank in history. Like, has that actually happened? <laughs> I don't know. Wouldn't surprise me. Hey, hey, Texas's fight song has goodbye to A&M in it. And uh, it was it was kind of fitting that uh, Texas won the last time they played. Of course, they're going to play again, and they should. And they're a bunch of I – don't, I, don't I don't even think I can say what I'm thinking right now because mm. it's a family show. Um, but, uh, you know, they're a bunch of you-know-whats for not playing when mm. A&M joined the SEC. I thought that was crap. So I'm glad they're going to be forced to play now. Uh, but Texas won that last game as a wild game Thanksgiving night, which I, which I think you know. Look, no offense to the Egg Bowl, right? Uh, you know, but uh, I'd rather watch Texas Texas and the Mississippi Mississippi State on, on yeah. Thanksgiving. Maybe they give a doubleheader. Woo! But um, well, you, you know, competing with the NFL then, yeah. Might miss that uh, Lions game. Got to miss that Lions game, man. <laughs> <laughs> Can't miss the Lions, and you know the, the, they played the Bears. Anyway, beside the point. Well, Texas kicks a field goal last second to win, and then they're like the the, the announcer, the headline in the paper is all goodbye to A and M. I always saw that was kind of a, a nice walk off uh, for the for the Longhorns, who then proceeded to become the softest program in college football. But, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, but shoot, they're doing a little better now, right? All right, they're doing all right. Yeah, shoot. Sark's got them going. Oh, Sark. Yeah, Sark almost lost to Iowa State, though. Got to watch those Cyclones. <laughs> uh, Crager does not like Blue Jays. <laughs> Look at that. Yeah, Crager. <laughs> Egg Bowl has featured some great games of mediocrity. All right, we're a minute over, but I'm going to tell you real quick. That's the most underrated rivalry in the country, or one one of them. It's more intense than Clemson and Carolina, and a lot of it is because, you know, kind of like Clemson and Carolina in the 90s and 2000s, that's kind of what they had to play for. Mm-hmm. Because Clemson wasn't winning division. They didn't win a division until 2009. Carolina didn't win a division until 2010. That's uh, that's what the play you played for, just to win that game at the end of the year at Ole Miss, Mississippi State. And I think between the two of them, they have one SEC championship game appearance. So that's it. That's the thing in that state. Um, and it's crazy because Lane Kiffin and Mike Leach probably would not be at those two schools had Elijah Moore, I think is his name, from Ole Miss, not lifted his leg and peed like a dog and drawn a penalty. And Ole Miss lost that game. Yeah. And so they fired uh, they fired uh, Matt Luke and hired Kiffin, and then next thing you know, uh, Moorhead, who, who would have gotten fired earlier, and they would, Mississippi State would have probably not hired Leach, um, and he ended up getting fired anyway, and they hired Leach anyway. So it's just kind of uh, – it's interesting. And if you ever kind of watch their fans interact, oh, my God. By the way, mm-hmm. they're both the two-time – Mississippi, Mississippi State, or Mississippi State, Mississippi. 
they won the last two national championships in baseball. And uh, Carolina baseball is right around the corner, so I'll leave you guys mm-hmm. that sadness. That sadness. So, uh, for Phil Mullinax, JC Sherbert, back tomorrow. We got Jeff Tarpley from Ags 247. He's going to answer our Texas AM questions for us. Uh, also, Jamie Bradford will join us as normal. Don't forget Michael Bratton, who says there's no reason for AM not to, to, to win this game Saturday. Uh, from that SEC podcast, is going to join us on Thursday, along with Chris Phillips, and we'll have Flint and all our good friends that we always do right here on Inside the Gamecocks, the show. Once again, thank you guys, our audience, for uh, patronizing Manscaped. Uh, that turned into pretty good news for, for me and old Phil today, and uh, we certainly appreciate all you do. You guys make the show, not us. We love it. It's fun. It's funny. It's entertaining. It's informative. And we'll be back tomorrow. Inside the Gamecocks, the show, signing off. <laughs>